is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead, number 64, for Tuesday, December the 20th, 2011. We're five days from Christmas, and we are still about eight weeks from the return of The Walking Dead on TV. We sure are. Did you know, and I know this is an audio-only podcast, but you are in the exact same position that Larry King usually uses when uh, he's on TV? Really? One arm, one arm, one arm on, and then the other arm out. One arm like on the desk, and the other arm sticking straight out. If you had suspenders, and uh, your name was Larry King, you'd be Larry King. <laughs> well, I have neither of those things. Didn't Letterman used to sit like this too? He'd I, I sit with one arm out, kind of thing, and he'd be flipping pencils in one finger, one hand. Well, he he flicks pencils at the camera. Oh yeah, he does that. And he, and he throws cards uh, through the window, fake windows, and then there's a glass breaking sound. It's all good uh, stuff. You just, you know, just struck me at the uh, the intro there. You look like Larry King. All right. Well, you know, there's worse people to look like. There is not not many, <laughs> but there there are a few probably. Bob Barker, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Larry King, um, the man of giant collars. Him and Don Cherry should start hanging out. Oh yeah, they could compare shirt collars. <laughs> I'm sure they do. It'd be something. That'd be something crazy. I'm sure right they there. have an email relationship. <laughs> They're in the shirt collar of the month club. Yeah, shirt collar of the month. Uh, that's a club I'm going to join. So what are we doing on this episode of the podcast? I'm going to tell you. Mostly, we'll be talking about The Walking Dead Rise of the Governor, the novel that came out, mm-hmm. I don't know, a few months back. Octoberish, which, which tells the story of Philip Blake and his rise to be the, the governor character that we all know from the comic. If you haven't read the comic, <clears throat> you, you don't know this character because he's not in the TV show. The governor what? Yeah, some governor. He's... Who knows who he is, but uh, this book tells his story. So if you haven't seen the comic or read the book, this is probably not going to be the podcast for you. No. But I do encourage you to at least listen to the beginning and uh, a little bit of our review because we're going to try and do a, a brief spoiler-free section before we completely spoil the whole book as we discuss it more. Well, from what I understand, the book is uh, canon to both the uh, the comic book series and the television show series, so we can expect the governor to show up at some point. Uh, we can. The, the character of the governor is canon to both, but I think we need to talk about how this book fits into the can, uh, the canon of the show and versus the comic. Right. Well, I'm just saying that, uh, you know, if you read the book and you only watch the television show, the, the character will become relevant in the television show at some point. It's true. And I highly recommend reading the book anyways if you want to, uh, you know, learn more about The Walking Dead. Yeah. And the universe that it's in. But before we get into that, uh, I'd like to remind everyone what we're going to be doing over the next bunch of weeks uh, before the show comes back on the air on February 12th. We aren't going to be recording at all basically over the holidays Mm -hmm. because it's Christmas and people are doing other things or Hanukkah or whatever you've got going. Uh, But coming back on January 16th, we're going to do a podcast, which will probably be mostly listener feedback Mm -hmm. and Walking Dead news. We've got a bunch of feedback from uh, listeners uh, relating to the mid-season finale of the show that uh, I want to get to at some point, and please don't feel like we're ignoring you. We just plan to do this, and then we're going to save all that feedback for then. And then on January 30th, 
which is two weeks before the show comes back, we will do our listener prediction show, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago on this podcast. So we've received some predictions from listeners, but not too many. So send in your predictions for the second half of season two of The Walking Dead, and we'll just get them on the air and talk about them and and do some prognosticating. I, uh, I've got lots of predictions, so, uh, you know, I could fill the whole hour just myself. <laughs> well, that's good. Nobody wants that, so say... <laughs> really? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Definitely have a few. I'll, I'll come up with some, too, but as, you know, we want to get listener stuff on there, too. So if you've got predictions or anything you want to uh, throw out there that you think might be coming up on the, sh- on the show, then send it in. Uh, preferably to our voicemail line, which is one eight six six four eight three zomb or of course email at talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Either way works for me. And me. But we like phone calls. I right? also like phone calls. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And, and once again, we're not going to answer the phone. No, 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 no. It's a voicemail line yeah, only. Don't worry about that. You have one other option, everybody, if you don't want to do either of those. If you happen to be a audio recording um Connoisseur? No. Aficionado? Aficionado. You can record your own audio and send me the MP3 file. That's even better because the quality should be spectacular. You can do that on your iPhone. You could do that on your Just iPhone. Just record it and send it. And pro- in fact, probably a lot of other smartphones can do that. Probably. So just record it as you're walking down the street, going to the gym, doing whatever, and you can send it right into us. It's easy. In the car? Yeah. Maybe, as long, maybe not in the car. Well, as long as you're not <laughs> distracted from driving. I'm okay with that. Okay. So that's what we've got. Two more podcasts, the 16th of January and the 30th of January before The Walking Dead comes back on the air. And when it does, we will get back to our regular schedule of programming on Monday, uh, February 13th. And we promise not to have any repeats. Like we're not going to repeat any episodes between now and then. <laughs> no, definitely no. I hate that. Definitely no podcast reruns. Does right. anybody do that? No. <laughs> That, Why would they? That would be bizarre. It's a download thing. It's not a live broadcasting. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I really don't like repeats, especially when they don't properly advertise repeats on television. And you go in and you flip on the, the television show and you're expecting a new episode and it's one you've seen already and you want to throw the remote. We're not going to do that. No, we're do- not going to do that. Not going to have anyone get upset. We may repeat ourselves. Oh, well, that's been known to happen. But all we, can, we will guarantee uh, 80% new content in every episode. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. All right. Well, in the spirit of new content, we've got one quick news item that relates to today's podcast topic of Rise of the Governor, and that is that uh, everyone knows that the book has been out for some time now in hardcover and audiobook format. I've got a copy of it right here in, my, in front of me. It says... It's a, it's, it says it's a book. That's going to take a long time. <laughs> yeah, here we go. You... <laughs> I'll read it. How about, how about I read it? <laughs> Special thanks to Robert Kirkman. No, won't be doing that. Uh, but they're coming out with two new deluxe editions of this book, which really, yeah, they, uh, they look nice. What do you mean deluxe? Like what kind of deluxe? Well, the first one is the rise of the governor deluxe slipcase edition. So there's a case. Yes, it comes in a case and it's deluxe. It's got all new illustrations by um, uh, what's his name who draws the comic. So new comic illustrations in there. It's kind of like a almost like a graphic novel type version oh, okay. of the book. Okay, that's intriguing. That's pretty good. Um, and also there is the deluxe slipcase edition signed and numbered limited edition. Oh. So there's the even fancier one, which is probably just the same book, but it's signed and numbered. Right. Presumably by Kirkman, maybe by Jay Bonansinga to the other author. Seven of 50 million. 
<clears throat> eight yeah. of fifty million. <laughs> that would take a while. <laughs> they're all numbered. Well, well, they're not. You know, they don't print the number on them, but they all have a number. Well, they do. It's called the ISBN. No, no, that's the number. But the individual <laughs> book number, like the each book, you know, it's printed. Nobody knows what the number is. Like you don't know what order the books were printed, and uh, you may have been fifty thousand three hundred and forty seventh. Yeah, but nobody printing. knows that, so who cares? Right. Uh, but they all have, of course, an ISBN. That's true. Riveting, isn't this? Riveting. Good radio right here. <laughs> all right. So those, uh, I think the deluxe slipcase edition is already out in stores, and the signed and numbered one is still upcoming. At least that's what Amazon.ca told me. They're still signing them. They must be and still numbering signing them. them. <laughs> like, well, 50 million, that's going to take a while. You think, uh, you think who, you know, Jay Bonansinga or uh, Robert Kirkman, you think that they're... Uh, they're signing them and numbering them as they sign them? Or do you think that somebody, some paid intern is going five of 50,000? I'm pretty sure that the number will be a stamp of some kind. Not always. I mean, when you get, no? when you get numbered prints, like when you buy a print of something and say there's only going to be a thousand prints, the author writes the print number on there. Oh, that's true. But what about uh, the author, the artist. I Maybe you're right. But what I could see for this, and I'm just speculating here, is that there's, there's a section of the book jacket that's left white. Right. On purpose, and then there's some kind of stamp, probably a machine that stamps, and the books come through on a conveyor belt, and it increments one every time, and it auto stamps them. Right now, I don't. Maybe if they're hand numbered, I don't know. That would be really exciting. They can get a machine to sign them too, and they can save everybody a lot of time. They could. That would be a, a probably not worth the extra fifty bucks for that. You know, they have. Uh, there's a device that you can actually remotely sign something. It's uh, you hold this pen. It's on this arm, articulating arm that tracks your motion, mm-hmm. takes the motion, converts it into electronic signal, sends it to the remote location, uh, puts that signal into a duplicate arm with a pen on the end, and it mimics, it matches the motion on the other end. So you can actually sign things remotely. That's kind of cool. Yeah, kind of cool. Well, you you know you hook one of those up to fifty or sixty pens, and you just sign, and you sign fifty books right there. <laughs> you sign them. Even if they're just in front of you in the other room or that's something right. like that. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, I guess you've sort of signed them. You kind of outsourced your signing ability to a robot, but Well, whatever. we're going to outsource everything to a robot eventually. Yeah, why not? So why not signaturing? That's right. If that's a word. Electronic signatures right there. So, hey, if anybody gets a copy of the Deluxe Slipcase Edition and you want to let us know what it's like, send uh, send in your thoughts. I don't have one. I might buy one, though, if I see it around. But I already have the hardcover signed by Robert Kirkman, so I'm, I'm kind of attached to that. Yeah. Uh, okay, Jason, let's get into our review of Rise of the Governor. Ooh-hee. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready to rock? I am. I could listen to that song all day. That's a good song. It's a groovy song. You know, I sort of wanted to let it just keep going there, but we are not here to listen to Cheap Trick. Uh, Anyone who is. really. Yeah, really. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe later. (laughs) At the end of the show, maybe. Uh, Anyone who has read Rise of the Governor understands why that is in there. It is, of course, referenced in the book. So, Rise of the Governor. It tells the story of 
Philip Blake and his brother and daughter as they deal with the beginnings of the zombie apocalypse. And their band of merry men. And their band of merry men. There's also Nick uh, and one other character at the beginning. Uh, Bobby. <clears throat> Nick and Bobby. So, so we're going to do a brief spoiler-free section yeah, here so if we Yeah, we're going to break the review into two sections. We're yep. going to do a spoiler-free version just talking about the book itself in general terms. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to put a disclaimer. Yes. saying, you know, the rest of this is going to be a spoiler, and it's going to be a spoiler for probably both the book and the graphic novels. True, true, because we'll talk about how they relate a little bit yes. and uh, and work together. Other characters that have not <laughs> appeared in the, uh, in the television show as of yet. Absolutely. So, uh, spoiler-free here at first. Um, general thoughts on the book. Let's do a quick... I don't know, a quick plot summary that doesn't give anything away. Right. So it's it's Philip Blake and everyone we mentioned dealing with the beginnings of the zombie apocalypse and traveling around the southeastern United States. Right. So the governor as uh, is, you know, a particular uh, villain in the uh, in the graphic novels which will probably appear in the television show. Right. So this is his background. This is his uh, emergence story. Yeah, you got to think at some point he's... Well, Robert Kirkman has said he will appear in the show at some point. Right. Or has he actually said that? He said that about certain characters. I think the governor's in that group. Well, I don't see why not. Yeah. He's a great villain. He's a fantastic villain, and it's something to almost work towards in the TV show. I'm still voting for John Candy. John (laughs) Candy as the governor, I think, would be fantastic. That would be quite something. He could maybe play a zombie. He could. (laughs) Ouch. Um, Okay, so... Jason, did you like the book? Let's start there. Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, yes and no. I liked aspects of the book. There were other things that really kind of bothered me. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, I, well, I listened to it, right? I didn't actually read the book. I, I listened to the audio version. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of the troubles I had uh, were hard to distinguish between writing issues and uh, the performance of the person who read the novel. Okay. Um, I forget his name. It was read by Fred Berman. Fred Berman, yeah. There was there was things that just uh, kind of irritated me about that. So I'm going to try and distinguish between the two because I know the uh, the actual writing is very very different than the performance of an audiobook. Mm-hmm. But the, the performance is important well, for absolutely. the enjoyability absolutely. of an audiobook. I, uh, overall, I think uh, I did like it. If I had to give it a score, I'd give it about a seven and a half out of ten. Out of ten. Okay, uh, that's probably a that's probably a good score. I almost feel compelled to give this two scores because there were certain. I'm sort of with you. There were things about it that I really enjoyed, and it it reminded me of of a of the Dark Knight, the movie, right? Where I I loved the movie. I thought it was fantastic, but I had a lot of little problems with that movie, right? Which you know, when taken as a whole, the thing was greater than the sum of its parts. The movie was fantastic, I right. thought. But I had a lot of little problems with bits of it. And they sort of, as I thought about it more, kind of bugged me a little bit. But then when I thought about my experience watching the movie, I really, really enjoyed it. Well, what were your problems with The Dark Knight? I'm all curious. Oh, God. Well, we can't go into well, all of it Just something here. quick. Give me an example. Um, His voice? Batman's voice? No, Batman's fo- voice I didn't mind. Um, the whole boat sequence at the end where the Joker has has that elaborate setup of two boats full of people. Right. They each have a button and one button does something. And it felt a little too set up and contrived. Con- contrived. Yes, yeah. exactly. Well, I, I'm with you there. That was one of the problems. And like, you know, uh, but 
but at the same time, it was a spectacular movie that was exciting and awesome, and Batman's amazing, and you know Heath Ledger was absolutely legendary as the Joker. So there was a lot to like about it, and when you look at the whole thing as a whole, I really enjoyed it. And that's a little bit how I feel about Rise of the Governor, where there was a bunch of stuff in there that didn't work for me, but when I think about the story as a whole, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty solid story. Right. And it's it's a <clears throat> solid backstory for this character. Um, and man, a lot of, you know, shit goes down. Right. <laughs> um, in terms of the performance, Fred Berman, I have not listened to a lot of other audiobooks in my life, so I thought he was pretty good. In my opinion, he was okay, but I think there was uh, there was some aspects that I, I didn't like when uh, when he was portraying someone who was angry and yelling. Mm-hmm. All the characters sounded the same. There's a lot of uh, audiobook performances out there where they greatly distinguish between characters. You can do different voices, different accents, different uh, inflections, what have you. Uh, you know, this performance it seemed kind of samey in a lot of parts. Where it's like, who was that again? See, that's funny. I had the opposite experience. I thought that he had. My feeling was he had distinct voices for each character, and he was pretty consistent with them. Right. Uh, you know, well, maybe they were in general, but when he got angry, they all sounded the same. Well, maybe, but it, that didn't occur to me. Right. I always knew who was talking or screaming or yelling or whatever. <laughs> um, and 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 this could just be my relative, you know, noobishness to to audiobooks. I, I I haven't listened to a lot, so I haven't you know I don't have a lot to compare it to. So well, you should I, listen to more. I thought he did a good I thought he did a good job, and I do plan on listening All to right, more. Listen to seven more uh, audiobooks by the time we do the podcast next, and then you can <laughs> revise your uh, review. E that would be a lot of listening. I listened to this book almost. Uh, all the way through twice so really <laughs> yeah yeah in the last week i listened to um more than two-thirds of it again just the beginning to, two-thirds of the last two-thirds the beginning two-thirds oh, you just started over i started over yeah exactly. you're gonna finish it again finish it for the second time i might i might i mean after this i don't know but i just i, I thought i'd put it on and listen to as far through as i could get and i i skipped a couple of parts like if I if I had to stop for a while and go back to it, I might have started at the beginning of the next chapter, kind of thing, right? Just so I could move it along a little faster. But there you go. Um, yeah. So, anyways, Fred Berman, I thought he did a fine job, but I'll take your word for it that there are better readers out there. There are. I mean, he was pretty good. I've, I've, <clears throat> yeah. But there, there definitely are uh, better readers out there. One of the, I think one of the issues I had with the book, and this is one of those small things that bugged me at the time, and it even bugged me the second time I was listening to it, is that. This book is ultra, ultra descriptive, almost uh-huh. almost to a fault. Yes. And my opinion is it gets better as the book goes on. It, he, it sort of lessens a little bit as the book goes on. But near the beginning, um, my God, the strings of adjectives thrown together to describe something or the metaphors are just never ending at times. There, I will agree with you there. There were <laughs> uh, some descriptions uh, of events or items that just uh were excessive and sometimes completely irrelevant in my opinion yeah why uh, why use one word when 20 will suffice <laughs> yeah why not <laughs> i have a couple of clips here that sort of outline this point and the first one is a short one that i just think it's they're both from near the beginning of the book and but the first one is sort of just a completely meaningless metaphor in my mind and you could tell me if i'm wrong So here it is. Brian squeezes his hands tighter against Penny's ears, and the child flinches at another rendition of Skull Splitting in D Minor. So Skull Splitting in D Minor. 
what's the point of the D minor? Why it, is this skull splitting in D minor? It's musical. It's I don't know. I don't know. It's a chord. There's a, a chord in the skull splitting, and he happens to know that it's D minor. No, he's just trying to. He's just sort of, I don't know, adding something to the sound, you know, of of to describe the sound that they're hearing. Right. Right. And I don't see the point of it because as a as a lit as a reader or a listener, that doesn't help you visualize in your mind the sound at all. No, skull just, splitting it, in D minor. It just takes you out of the text. It, it's author intrusion. Right. It's all, what the hell did I just read? Why did the author write that? Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Now, here's another example of the ultra um, ultra descript- descriptiveness of the book. Um, and uh, it's, it's kind of gory. He covers her ears again as he hears the thwack of another axe blade outside the closet, smashing through the membrane of a scalp into the hard shell of a skull, through the layers of dura, and into the pulpy gray gelatin of an occipital lobe. It makes a smacking noise like a baseball bat hitting a wet softball, the ejaculate of blood like a mop head slapping the floor, followed by a ghastly wet thud. Okay, so he described the thing, mm-hmm. and then he went on to say, like, and then described it again. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's it's excessive in my mind. Yeah, And the book suffers from this all the way through. You know, for me, I wouldn't, I could take it for a while at the beginning, but as the book goes on, and it kind of did do this, because like I said before, it gets better towards the end, but I wouldn't have minded a little bit more streamlining of the storytelling. We don't need to, um, we don't need to have the description of what it sounds like and looks like when the zombies are dying every time. Right. And that's, that's all And then the say. use of, the use of the phrase ejaculate of blood. Yeah. <laughs> is not really necessary. Yeah, you you could say a spurt of blood or, or anything you else. You know, blood spewed everywhere, and it sounded like a wet mop hitting the ground. Yeah. That's fine. Well, that's it. Um, one of my notes on the book here is that it's kind of like it's a 308-page it's a book that could have been maybe more effective in 250 pages. Right. You know, c- cut out a little bit of that stuff, maybe streamline the story a little bit, and you would have had a tighter, faster-moving story. You know, oddly enough, I think I could have, uh, if I agree with you in that what was there could have been shortened mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, tightened up a little bit, but I could have used another chapter on the end to, uh, to I'll get into more of this in the spoiler portion of the review, but uh, just to give us more of uh, the plot not really the plot, but just the makeup of the governor's character from where the book ends to where he appears in, in the graphic novel. So I could have used another chapter there. So if they tightened everything up and added on another chapter to give me that, give me a little bit more, I think I would have been very, a lot happier with this book. Okay. That's, that's an interesting point, actually. I hadn't really thought about that. But yeah, I, I could definitely see that. If you're going to remove something, there are room. there is room here to, to have expanded on other things, I think. Yeah. For sure. Um, and... and my other sort of, I guess before we get into spoilers, my only other uh, complaint for now is that it's a very um, straightforward, like, chronological depiction of events, this book. They do this, they do this, they go here, they do this, this happens next, and that's just how it sort of plays out. And I guess that's the way a lot of books are. I, the phrase that or, comes, that comes to, uh, to my mind is, that's life. 
Like things play out in real time, right? <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> in chronological order. It's true. I don't. I, I don't know. But for some reason, it jumped out at me this time. And uh, you know, but when you think about it, that's sort of what. The, that's the storytelling method of everything with The Walking Dead. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the television done. show does that. The the graphic <clears throat> novels do that. There's very few. There's flashbacks in the television show, which they don't really have in the graphic novel, but, to my knowledge. Occasionally, uh, they do occasionally in the graphic novel. For example. Um, uh, we, we flash back to see the interactions between Laurie and Shane before Rick re- rejoins the group. In the graphic novel? In the graphic novel. I don't recall that. We do see, we do have that. So it happens rarely in the, that may be the only time in, in the comic, but um, we've seen a few of them in the TV show now. We have, yeah. Um, there was some discussion of the past because, uh, the, you know, there's brothers in the, in the Rise of the Governor. But we never actually go there into the past. It's always the immediate what's happening right now. Right. Which I guess isn't a bad thing, but for some reason it felt a little, I don't know, straightforward, for lack of a better word to me. Well, it is the rise of the governor. It is. It isn't the, the, how the governor started and then ended and then, uh, you know, what he did when he was 17 and then later on. It isn't the childhood of the governor <laughs> yeah. or the, you know, pubic puberty years of the governor or <laughs> i had a friend who read uh who, she used to read novels that way she would read mystery novels but she'd read the first chapter and then be curious how it ended so she'd read the last chapter and then she'd go what the hell happened how did we get here then she'd read the second chapter and then read the second last chapter and work her way to the middle that makes no sense at all i just sometimes people prefer to read books in a different way than the rest of us i'd, I'd call that the wrong way <laughs> <laughs> but i guess uh well, no, I can't even say that would give you the same experience of reading it because it wouldn't. Yeah, it's, it, it's a little odd. I'll give you that. All right. Well, anyhow, um, any anything else in sort of non-spoiler section before we move into spoilers, Jason? Not really. I think we should uh, get right into uh, spoiling the uh, the heck out of this thing. All right. In that case, from here on, we are going to spoil and we're going to talk about the end of The Rise of the Governor. So if you haven't read it or you, I don't know, plan on reading it soon, um, We'll see you later. And we're, and we're going to spoil the graphic novel as well. We're going to talk about characters and events that happen when, uh, if, if and when the governor appears there, which we know he does. Right. Because otherwise it would be like the rise of who? He doesn't appear in either the graphic novel. You know, the rise of uh, Mary Sally in New York. Like, who cares? <laughs> okay. <laughs> who cares? All right. So spoilers from here on in for Rise of the Governor. Um, anyone leaving? We'll see you later. Bye. Okay, so spoilers. Let's first of all, before we actually give it away, let's let's talk. I want to talk about the time frame of this book a little bit. Okay. In terms of actual time frame, it near the beginning uh, they reference that it is late September. So the book starts in September in the fall, and it starts in the first week of the zombie outbreak. Uh, the first location that these characters are at are Wiltshire Estates, right? Which we know from the graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are occupying one of the houses there in the housing development. And one of the characters, or maybe the narrator, says that it's only been it's been less than a week since the zombie outbreak occurred. And the reason they're already on the road is because it um, it overtook their hometown very quickly. Hmm. So they had to leave and flee. So that's sort of when it takes place. Now, how does this book fit in with the timeline of the comic and the TV show? There are some inconsistencies, at least one, that occurred to me, and it may be meaningless, but uh, I'd like to see what you think. 
Well, obviously it takes place, a lot of it takes place while Rick is in a coma. <clears throat> Definitely. And I'm not sure, I don't think I picked up on the uh, the inconsistencies that you have in mind, because I'm not sure what you're talking about. Well, here's the thing. At the beginning of this book, they reference Blackberries and Facebook and tweets, none of which existed in 2003 when the comic book started. Yeah. And all of those things exist in 2010 when the TV show starts. Okay. And Portal. Uh, and Portal. So I'm thinking, even though the characters are canon to all versions of The Walking oh, I Dead, see what you mean. I'm thinking <clears throat> the book relates more to the TV show than it does the comic. Okay, so the characters are uh, okay in the graphic novel, but the timeline is more in line with the television show. With the show. television show, yes. If you assume the television show is taking place in the time period that it is, uh, which is right now, like the real world time frame, right. 2010, 2000, well, it starts in 2010, so that's when it is. Um, that's I think I think Rise of the Governor fits more in with that because of the technology they reference, right? And that's it. Now well, Facebook was around in two thousand three, wasn't it? Oh, it it might have been in its infancy. Maybe it's in its infancy, but Twitter and and maybe even Blackberries were, but they were pretty early on in their lifetime. Twitter and um, the it, internet. I mean, they reference the internet a number of times. Blackberries were around because I remember the uh, I do have distinct memories of Blackberries in two thousand four. And they were the new Blackberries that were smaller, and they had a different keyboard than the old original Blackberries. So I think Blackberries were around. Twi Twitter was definitely not around. No, definitely not. They do mention tweets in the book. Now, <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe this is all meaningless. Maybe it doesn't. It uh, is of no importance whatsoever. But I was just trying to piece it together in my brain, and this kind of stood out for me as something that didn't really work. Or at least it worked with the TV show, but not so much with the comic. And I started thinking that, you know, if the comic and the TV show are kind of in two different universes, right, that are similar, this book fits into the TV show more. Okay. Um, now that said, the characters in this book, when they're leaving Wilshire Estates, do leave the sign uh, that says, what does it say, infested with the dead, don't enter. Do All not dead, enter. do not enter. Yeah. And that shows up in the comic book. Right. So this is what I mean. Maybe you just can't take this too seriously. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just trying to think of uh, in, you know, how this relates to the multiverse. <clears throat> and uh, You would. <laughs> <laughs> well, this one would be a third and not, you know, it would relate to both, but it would actually be a third universe in the, in, in the multiverse. It wouldn't be a part of one or the other. And it can't be part of both. Multiverse doesn't have straddling stuff like that. So, yeah. Third universe. Third universe. So it doesn't really relate to either of them. Well, I mean, the timeline obviously shifts. So, I mean, in one universe, the, the zombies come around in 2003. Mm -hmm. And in the other the other timeline, zombies come around in 2010. Yeah. And that's it. And that's sort of what I was thinking. It's just like, it can't really work in both, yet there are things that kind of apply to both. So, you know, I wasn't going to spend too much brain power thinking about it because there's no easy answer probably unless Kirkman has a some sort of master plan that he's worked it all out but they'll probably listen both uh, Robert Kirkman and Jay Bonensinger will probably listen to this podcast and go oh crap I didn't realize that sorry about that universe <laughs> yeah that's right if, <laughs> if they're not paying attention to that degree <laughs> that's not a good thing 
Well, it's a good thing that you listen to the podcast. Yeah, that is a good thing. That's a great thing. I think that's fantastic. Uh, <clears throat> so so that was that. I, I wasn't quite sure how it fit in the timeline, but definitely going with more in the TV show universe. Works for me. Um, now, okay, well, let's give away the end. Well, you want to give away the end, or do you want to talk about specifics of uh, the actual you know, major plot points? Well, I've got a couple more questions here uh, in terms of sort of things to things to discuss about it but sure we can do major plot points okay well i'm just you know one of the things that really bothered me was the uh the rape of april mm-hmm. where uh you know philip was you know he was kind of sweet on her and he thought that uh, everything was uh, green light go but uh, no we got a red light there and uh, he kept going anyway he did we got an email from jennifer in colorado who sent in a few points and she touches on this so I think I'll read it right now. Sure. I think the novel does a wonderful job of conveying how difficult and life-changing any disaster situation could be, not just a zombie apocalypse. As much as it broke my heart that Philip basically raped April, I think that part had to be included because rape, looting, murder, and breakdown of social order are plausible outcomes of any major disaster such as earthquakes, hurricanes, or pandemic. So she says it's okay because, okay, I'm not going to say she says it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> she says it's understandable that it's part of this book because it's, a, it's, it's an apocalypse book. Right. That probably will happen in any real apocalypse. Well, hell, it happens in wars all the time. Yeah. In regular old human wars. So, um, so, uh, so that's sort of an interesting point there. But it, it is still disturbing to, to Very see disturbing. That, you know? That was uh, terribly unfortunate because, unfortunate because I think, you know, for the first part of the book, most of the book, uh, Philip Blake is this redneck, but basically a, a decent guy, right? He wants his family to survive. He wants to, you know, make a life for himself and the people that he cares about. And he's trying to uh, find some semblance, semblance of normality in uh, this crazy universe. Uh, and in this part uh, of the novel, he, he, he's still a decent guy. Right, and even even the rape itself, it's uh, not a malicious evil act that uh, he has in mind at the outset. It's more of a, uh, you know, he just goes too far, and his brain does not register the fact that she said, you know, stop. Yes. Right. Yes, and and I mean, you can't justify anything like that, but. Well, I don't mean to justify it. I mean to explain the mental breakdown at that point. Obviously, and it's not. You know, I'm just saying that that was not an evil thing that he set out to do. It's just, you know, uh, a very bad thing that uh, he could not stop himself from doing. Yeah, absolutely. He didn't even sort of realize he was doing it at the time. Right. It, it, the way it was written, you know. Um, but that that's true. I mean, that things were going pretty well for these characters once they found the Chalmers family there in, uh, in Atlanta, the Chalmers family band. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. That was good stuff. <laughs> they did a song, a couple of songs. Um but then, you know, then this occurred and that really screwed everything up because they got kicked out after that. One thing I did wonder, too, and correct me if I'm wrong, but we never find out what happens to those two Chalmers sisters, do we? No, I don't think so. They leave, uh, they get forced out at gunpoint, and that's the last of it. And that's the last <clears throat> of it, yeah. And that didn't occur to me the first time I read through, but the second time when I listened, um, I realized getting towards the end there that, they just sort of kick them out. They move on, and we never find out what happens to them. So well, maybe we'll get the Chalmers family band in uh, the television show. <laughs> That's right. You never know. A couple of sisters there, Tara and April. They'll probably be zombies by then, though. What, are they going to be, like, zombie singers with banjos? I hope not. <laughs> but, hey, who knows? Yeah. 
Um, yeah, that was uh, that was a that was an interesting part because they the characters were there in that apartment complex with them for a little while, at right. least a few weeks, I think, of time. Yeah, they were able to clear out the building and to uh, you know reinforce the building and, and set up safe spots right. throughout you know a little farther away from the building. So they were there for a while. Yeah, they had <laughs> enough time to kind of settle in and and do some of this stuff that they needed to do to stay safe and even have some free time, like you said, to scout around a little bit. And, yeah find that bus and the toy store and so on where they were safe zones. Right. Nick did anyways. He was he was out scouting, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which was interesting. But then, you know, that rape goes down and they get kicked out and they are on the road again for a while. Um, they, they come to, they come to, well, we should talk about when Penny gets killed. Yeah. I think. Um, after this, they, they travel by motorcycle for a while. They find a house to live in and essentially get attacked by some people who want are, the house. Want, yeah, they want the house. And it doesn't go so well. Nope. And in the ensuing firefight, Penny, who is supposed to be being protected by Brian, gets shot and dies. Yes. Now, we all knew that Penny was going to die because in the graphic novel, she is a zombie. Yes. And the governor is keeping her alive by feeding her body parts Mm -hmm. and basically has her chained up in his room. Good stuff. Because he's absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, So we knew she was going to die. We just didn't really know how. And um, it was was a pretty dark section of the book. It was. I got to admit. After all that, especially having, uh, you know, a little girl get shot and killed. And that sends Philip... Right over the edge. Like, he was on the edge before. He was. Uh, and he was, you could see his sanity slipping. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this just, it just tips him over. That's it. He's gone. It it tips him over. It tips all the characters over a little bit, I think. Well, yeah. Um, you know, throughout the book, Philip is the younger brother to Brian, but also the stronger and more dominant one. And Brian is kind of the older brother who can't really kill the zombies and he feels bad about it and he's kind of wimpy so he's the one who's looking after the girl the whole time and he's failed in his mission at this point he sure to has protect her now he didn't do anything wrong he just wasn't able to to get away in time more right. or less and gets the crap beat out of him <clears throat> for it he does and at this point philip philip really uh goes insane at this point i didn't ever think he was an evil character because like you said he was just trying to survive and keep his family safe and one of the common themes of The Walking Dead is that you do what you have to do right. to live. But at this point, he kind of crosses that line a little bit, even more so, well, much more so than when he when he raped April, I think. Well, yeah, because he, uh, he captures a couple of the people that uh, were invading that home that they were staying in, and he keeps them alive and tortures them for a while. Like, yes. It's, it's a while that he just just absolutely tortures them for no good reason. Uh, And, uh, yeah, he's obviously gone over the edge there. In fact, I think he's torturing and raping the woman he has even more. I believe so, yeah. So he he crosses the evil line there, I think. But it's it's brought on by basically insanity. Right. Uh, Which, again, doesn't really justify it. But, hey, he was insane. You know, and I make this distinction in my head uh, about uh, reasons versus excuses, Mm -hmm. right? A reason uh, is the backstory and just just tells why something happens. An excuse means you're you're not responsible. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe that there are many excuses for anything. People are responsible for what they do, but there are also reasons for what they do. Of course. Right? 
doing stuff for absolutely no good reason is, uh, you know, psychopathic behavior, mm -hmm. right? So there are reasons that he's doing this, and one of the reasons are he's insane now. <laughs> he's insane now. He's been through a lot. He's been through a lot. Uh, it's just he's been pushed right to the edge and then pushed right off of it in a very big you know hard shove yeah and he's completely gone and he just he he uh, he, he, he turns evil <laughs> essentially he really does so there's a big twist at the end of this book yep. and we're going to reveal it now so if you're still with us and you're still a little sensitive to spoilers this is the one you're not going to want to hear yep. so really tune out now yep. um but the twist at the end of this book is that philip blake is killed Near the end of the book, he does not survive. And uh, as we've been reading the book so far, Philip Blake is the name of the governor. So how is that possible, Jason? Uh, well, what happens is, uh, well, Philip dies, and then uh, Brian is there. And Brian basically uh, holds Philip while he while he dies and then leaves them as a bunch of walkers are coming in to uh, finish off the... The, the stuff and then he goes back to the town woodbury which they've discovered at this point they're in woodbury they're yes. in woodbury and it's it's not really uh it's not it doesn't have any cohesive organization it's just a collection of people doing their own thing except for these three guys that are uh, old uh guard what, what are they called um they're like military guys, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they're military guards, but they're military guys, but I'm just trying to figure out what National Guard or something like that. So Major Gavin is in charge and they are they have these dirt races to uh, basically steal stuff from the uh, from the people and to provide entertainment. And then basically uh, there's a town meeting where this Major Gavin uh, kills somebody. And then uh, Brian walks up to him and empties his pistol into uh, Gavin's face. And then uh, when somebody later on asks him his name, he says, I'm Philip Blake. He does. He assumes his brother's identity and takes leadership over this community at Woodbury and ultimately becomes their governor. Right. So he goes from this, uh, this meek, mild-mannered guy that has a trouble, uh, you know, killing the zombies like basically he he has trouble doing this to a guy that has no problems not only killing a zombie but he empties you know his whole clip into a human being's face somebody who's not a zombie yet and the fact that he empties the clip right uh when you go overboard and kill somebody with that much uh force it's a sign that you're not really right in the head mm -hmm. you're not doing it you know you know you're not uh, thinking about the, you know, reasoning it through. Mm -hmm. You're acting on emotion. So the fact that he does that means that, you know, he's slipping now as well. Mm -hmm. And this is what I was talking about uh, earlier in the uh, in the non-spoiler section about the extra chapter at the end. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm not sure I quite believe or understand. I'm not there yet. You know, this is the rise of the governor. This is supposed to be the guy that in the graphic novels, this is where we have... Uh, a spoiler section of the graphic novel where he rapes and tortures Michonne, right? Uh, it's a very evil thing that he does. At the end of this novel, he's not there yet. I don't think he's at that point. He's starting to slip, and we see that you know that uh, that slippage going on, where he's now able to kill, and he you know he's lost everything that uh, he's loved and held dear in his life. But I don't think he's at the point where he willfully rapes and tortures. A woman. Uh, you you could be right, and I think I think we could have used another chapter, sort of 
the beginning stages of what he does as the leader of, of Woodbury. Um, but one of the questions I have in my notes here is this twist at the end, uh, was it earned? And, and by that I mean like, could you, um, you know, if you put your thinking hat on, could you sort of see it building towards this twist at the end? And I'm not entirely sure that reading the book you can kind of make the sort of connections as you're reading it to think that, you know, this isn't really Philip Blake's story, this is Brian Blake's story, and he's going to be the one that, that ends up the, you know, insane leader at the end. I'll tell you one thing that confused me right at the beginning of the novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as it started, it's this novel's told in the uh, the first person present, right? It's <clears throat> it, you know it's somebody telling their own story, right? Well, you it's an omnipotent narrator, but we get two different perspectives in the book. We get the perspective of Philip most of the time, yeah, and sometimes Brian, right? But we have it's ma- ma- the majority of the book is Philip, and that confused me. Or no, sorry, the majority of the book is Brian, and that confused me at the beginning because uh, he's he wasn't the governor. Right, and I'm just like, why are they telling it from this guy's perspective? Right, like the we're, we're getting the protagonist is the brother of the governor. Mm-hmm. That seems kind of weird. Well, it's it's like an examination of the character. You're kind of looking at the other character from afar rather than from his actual perspective. Yeah, but I thought that you know at the beginning I thought that was kind of weird, mm-hmm. and at the end I got that payoff. Right. <clears throat> yeah. So I mean, it was kind of set up throughout the whole thing, throughout the whole novel. It's true from a perspective standpoint, but I, I think it flipped back and forth between perspectives character perspectives a little bit more than that like um i feel like there was a lot of i mean i guess there was a lot of brian witnessing what his brother was doing and kind of reacting to it but we also got scenes like um closer to the beginning when they're when they're driving along the highway and they have a they have an suv i think not when they get the big escalade the cadillac right. one but before the other one that gets stuck in the mud right um there's a part where I think just Philip is outside the car killing some zombies while everyone else is inside. And we've almost got two different perspectives going at the same time because we get Brian looking out the window and trying to shield Penny from what's going on out there. But we also have um, Philip outside. And what's he saying? He's he's chanting something as he's killing the zombies. And that's kind of from his perspective, I think. And um, So we get we get both throughout the book. I forget what he was chanting. So at now. the very least, it's confusing. At the very least, it's confusing. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so, yeah, that that was one of the things that didn't really work for me. I kind of would have liked a little bit more straightforward who's telling this story or whose perspective we're getting. Without the straightforward timeline. <laughs> Maybe. Right? <laughs> hey, I, yeah, I guess so, without the straightforward timeline. Um, anyhow, so that is the big twist, that Brian actually becomes the governor I am not entirely sure that that twist was earned, as I said before, throughout the rest of the book. I think it was a good ending. Yep. I think it was a, a satisfying twist. I'm just not quite sure it got up to that point where he assumes his brother's identity and sort of goes from there. Right. And like I say, I could have used another chapter to watch his complete slip into insanity and evilness. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, what the hell happened in the next however, you know, year probably or whatever it is until they meet up with Rick and Laurie and the gang, yeah. you know? Or well, we're going to get another novel or, uh, you know, uh, downloadable content for the novel? Well, that's a question I had. Um, there are three Walking Dead novels coming out. There are, It's a trilogy, or not even a trilogy. It's a group of three. Right. I assumed that it was Rise of the Governor Part 1, Part 2, and Part 3. Yeah. But... 
somebody else I was talking to said to me, no, it's going to be, you know, rise of the governor, rise of Michonne, and rise of somebody else. Right. So we're going to get three distinct standalone backstories of characters that we don't really have a backstory on so far. Who would be the third, do you think? Out of the graphic novel, we have Michonne, the governor. Well, Michonne is clearly one of them. Well, yeah. I mean, she's such a great character. Great character. Everyone loves her. She shows up in such a spectacular way. Yeah. You know, we need to to see what happened before. Well, yeah, that'd be great. And the governor's obviously the other choice. So, I don't know, Tyrese? (laughs) Well, Tyrese, it's kind of along the same timelines. Maybe one of the uh, the characters they meet later on. Um, the cannibals, maybe? Or the, the folks that they travel to Washington, D.C. with? In maybe, the... maybe the priest? Oh, yeah, there's a priest the that's priest? still alive in the comic. That's right, because he has to do some pretty uh, nasty stuff to survive as well, right? Like, he had to lock all the parishioners out or mm-hmm. uh, force them to die or something. Or there's some, some backstory thing there I think they could explore. It's yeah, definitely. Or maybe we'll just get sort of a general Walking Dead universe, a collection of short stories. Who knows? Or maybe the uh, the safe zone that they were in for a long time. The leader of that group. Yeah, that would be a good one too. The Alexandria safe zone. Yeah, um, that that would be a good one too. Um, there's you're probably not right up to date on the comic no. right now, are you? So I'm like two issues behind. Or so something. something happens at the the in the last one, which opens up some interesting doors. Okay, so. You know, in the interest of spoiler <clears throat> section, mm-hmm. feel free to spoil this, right? Yeah, even for you? Even for me. You know, I'm here, and we said we we're going to spoil the cop in the comics, so if you want to talk about something, don't don't skirt around the issue. Jump right in. Okay, well, just briefly, um, in the, in, what are we at, 92? Comic 92, I think now? At the end of 91, the last page is a, um, a figure in a tree, I think in a tree or on a rooftop, with binoculars spying on our group of characters cool. face obscured don't know who it is there was a lot of speculation that this was going to be daryl entering the comic book that could be issue 92 revealed that it is not daryl it is another living person who was basically scouting these people out who is from another group a community of survivors who has about 200 people there oh. and he reveals to rick and everybody that um, there are actually a number of these groups of survivors living all around the area and I think at the end of the book, he says, um, you know, I've got news for you. Your your world is about to change in a big way. So I think we're about to be introduced to a whole bunch of new living people. 200 of them. Yeah. And, well, hundreds if there are multiple groups, right? So interesting, interesting, interesting stuff there and potentially a lot of additional stories to be told that right. they could do in novel form. So we have uh, maybe a, a new <clears throat> book of The Walking Dead, The Rise of That Guy with Binoculars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Or, you know what, come to think of it, why why wouldn't they do Daryl and Merle Dixon? Well, that'd be good. You know, do a novel of TV show characters. Well, maybe they show up and maybe they're there in that uh, that group of 200. Yeah, exactly. They probably hey, are. you're missing a hand. So am I. That's great. <laughs> but in the other universe, you cut my hand off. Oh, I cut my own hand off because you changed me. Okay, so I'm a little confused. <laughs> this is what I mean. <laughs> Too many universes. So, um, Which universe am I in again? Yeah. Uh, anyways, back to Rise of the Governor. Do you think, Jason, that this book brings anything new to the Walking Dead mythology? No. Other, other than the obvious, like, backstory for these characters? Not particularly. I mean, there's not, nothing I didn't know about the zombie universe that this introduced me to. We knew that uh, the zombies, uh, if you die, you come back as a zombie, regardless of whether you're bitten. We knew that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, zombies eat uh, flesh. We knew that. 
feeding and th- body parts to uh, Penny. That's my feeling too. It's kind of exploring the same themes that we have been exploring with The Walking Dead since the beginning. Right. And that was one of the things that bugged me a little bit about it. Nothing new was introduced. And I have two clips here that kind of uh, kind of speak to this a little bit. Here is the first one. It is Philip Blake talking to his brother after a particularly stressful incident. We're going to survive this thing. And we're going to do it by being bigger monsters than they are. You understand? There ain't no rules anymore. There ain't no philosophy. There ain't no grace. There ain't no mercy. There's only us and them. And all they want to do is eat our ass. So we're going to fucking eat them. We're going to chew them up and spit them out. We're going to survive this thing or I will blow a hole through this whole fucked up world. You follow me? I forgot to warn everyone about the uh, vulgar language in that clip. A very angry, angry portrayal. Hopefully nobody was upset about that. Yeah. Um, But my point is there, we're going to survive this thing by being bigger monsters than them. Right. The humans are the monsters here, not the zombies. If you can't beat them, join them. (laughs) Or or fight fire with fire. I'm not sure which. I think it's more fight fire with fire, (laughs) yeah. And they do use some fire in this book. When they blew up the bus uh, by lighting the gas tank on fire, that was kind of awesome. I like that part. It was good. So I got one more clip here um, about zombie recognition. The thing remains upright for endless moments. Its shark-like eyes turned upward until it begins to slowly stagger backward across the parkway, its ruined face taking on a strange, almost dreamy expression. For a moment, it looks as though the thing is remembering something or hearing some high-pitched whistle. Then it collapses in the grass. So, you know, we've talked about it a million times. There are, uh, there's potential recognition or at least flickers of memories in these zombies of their former lives, like the RV inspector and stuff like that. That's sort of outlined in this clip too. The zombie might be remembering something just after it got nail gunned in the head. Or it's receiving uh, signals from the uh, the controlling lich. Yes, I, I'm not. I'm not putting that to bed yet. <laughs> you're controlling lich. Yeah, you've got a lich there. Uh, you know this grand undead thing uh, controlling all the little zombies, and it's like, okay, uh, you you got to go check out that RV. I don't know what's going on in there, <laughs> but uh, I'm curious. So go in the RV and look around a little bit. Yeah, well, that works too. Same theme presented in Rise of the Governor here. Uh, nothing really new. I got one more clip to play too, which I might as well play right now. And it's just, I don't know. It's kind of. It, it it relates to the twist at the end. It's a little bit of foreshadowing, kind of. Um, this clip comes from when everybody is with the Chalmers family, when they're all sort of just getting there and everything is hunky-dory and, and happy. Even Brian, his chest cold, almost completely gone now, seems stronger, more confident. He still has a long way to go, in Philip's humble opinion but he seems galvanized by the possibility of some kind of community, no matter how small and ragged. See, Brian needs a community. Huh? See? He does. He finds one later on. He sure does. He <clears throat> finds the hell out of it. Yeah, that uh, that clip comes from I th- after the first time Brian actually has to kill a zombie because he, he gets one on top of him, but he's holding a shotgun and he manages to get it in the zombie's mouth and blow its head off. And then the head stays on the barrel of the gun and slowly slides down towards him. Icky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pretty awesome. I would I'd love to see that on the show. That they, would be They won't wicked. show that. Oh come on. They haven't shied away from anything yet. They they might show that. 
We'll uh, see. Yeah, okay. So that's it I've got for clips. Um, it kind of gives you an idea of the sound of the book, too, if you haven't heard it already. Uh, but uh, it was, it was kind of cool. So um, I think that's about it. I've got a couple of, uh, couple of little nitpicky things. Oh, nitpick if, away. If, if you want to hear them. Start picking those nits. One is the pronunciation in the book of the word foyer. Oh, yeah. Now, I understand that foyer is a French word. It's spelled F-O-Y-E-R, and mm-hmm. it means the entranceway to a house. Yep. Uh, but it was repeatedly pronounced foyer in the book. Now, I, I don't want to complain too much because maybe this is just the way it's pronounced in the U.S. I'm not sure about that. Well, let us know. We pronounce it foyer <clears throat> up here in Toronto. And generally in Canada. And generally in Canada. I don't know anybody in Canada that pronounces it foyer. Yeah. Uh, so it, it bugged me a little bit, but maybe that's just the way it's pronounced in, in American English, and that's fine. That's okay. That said, this book, uh, I mean, there are French people in the southeastern United States and Louisiana and stuff like well, that, There's French right? people everywhere, really. Well, I suppose, but there's a French community down there, so you would think that maybe foyer is the way they would say it, but I don't know. It just bugged me. I'm just saying it's just me. If it didn't bother you, that's fine. And the other thing was the number of times, and this relates to... Uh, to the ultra descriptiveness of the book, but the number of times he said the word arterial. Right. A lot. Ar- arterial blood sprayed out, you know. Well, it's... That it, happened a lot in this book. It did happen a lot, but, you know, how, how many times do you have to say the word blood or uh, gore or brains or... Crimson know? spray. Yeah, of... but arterial blood, it's, uh, you know, it, it is descriptive in the type of, like, it very distinctly defines what it looks like uh, when you have an arterial blood spray, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a powerful stream. It's very, very dark red blood, right? So what we see when we cut ourselves superficially is, you know, the veins. Right. Uh, the blood is, you know, not as deep, deep red, and it doesn't spray out. It kind of oozes out of your skin, right? Yes. But when you have a deep, deep cut, that arterial blood spray is very deep red, and it shoots because you've got the full power of the heart you know, throwing that sucker across yeah. the room. Yeah. Right? Gross. So, uh, you know, I can see that. It didn't bother me. But, you know, when you use the same phrase over and over and over again, it can get a little irksome. Yeah. But I think it's a very descriptive phrase. Well, it is. but And I know what it means, but I didn't need it every time. Right. Do you have any nitpick items you could think of with this book? Well, the only thing is when, uh, what's his eyebrows, when he was... Everybody sounded the same when they were angry. Oh, right. Yelling. <laughs> That's it. It's, it's, it's picking nits. I know. Yeah. And it didn't bother me so much. So we've got an email from, uh, more of an email from Jennifer here, which we started reading earlier. Um, Here's another part from her email. She says, the absolutely most disturbing part of the novel was when Penny was shot, came back as a zombie, and Philip treated her like uh, a beloved pet that that had turned rabid. He collared her, walked her on a leash, traveled with her, and fed her as a zombie. That part reminded me of Morgan in the TV series when his wife was outside, and Morgan just could not bring himself to shoot her. And also of the zombies in the barn that Herschel kept alive because he thought they, there might be a cure. I think this was the watershed moment for Brian to really become his own person and take charge because Philip had just snapped and was not in any position to make any rational decisions. Hmm. So we talked about Philip being driven completely insane by this and some of the other stuff he does. Um, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit more of the comic when when they when they meet Morgan and Dwayne again later on in the comic because they show up again and at that point um 
uh, Morgan? No, Dwayne. The kid is a zombie. Yeah. And Morgan can't really let go of it. No, and we see that that's established in his character, at least in the uh, in the television <clears throat> show. Mm-hmm. He, no, he can't let go. He can't shoot his wife, even though it's putting her out of her misery and putting him out of his misery. Mm-hmm. He still can't do it. And 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 what he ultimately does is consistent in the comic book too, because uh, uh, Rick gives him a gun and says, "You gotta, you know, put your son out of his misery. We'll be outside. Do it and come join us." And then you hear a gunshot, but he doesn't actually kill him. He shoots the chain and lets him roam free. So he leaves him, but he doesn't kill him. Right. Which is almost worse. Good Lord. <laughs> yeah. You know? That'll come Bye, back. son. See you later. It's that kind of thing that comes back and bites you after a while. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. And, you know, one other thing I thought of before we wrap up here is just that uh, what is it with Robert Kirkman and little girls and turning them into zombies? <laughs> Like, geez, man. Well, he didn't turn Sophia into a zombie in the graphic novels. No, but it's the first thing they did in the TV show. And that's the second little girl zombie in the TV show. Now, you know, Penny was in the graphic novel and, of course, in this book. Uh, Dwayne was not a little girl, but, you know, it's one boy out of four. I I think Kirkman's got something weird going on. Well, does he have a daughter? I don't know. I believe he has children, but I don't know if he has a daughter. If he has a daughter, that kind of explains it. It's just like uh, it's the the heart wrenching aspect of it, right? He just oh, yeah. he can't. It's uh, it's it's you know the uh, the struggling artist kind of thing. It's it's such a horrifying idea that his daughter would have to go through this, and that he would have to go through this. That the only way to exercise these demons is to get it out there, put it in everything, put it on paper, put it on paper. Here it is in this story. Here it is in this story. It's it's his example of the most horrifying thing he can think of. If that's the case, I can completely relate to him because I have little girls, and when she, um, you know, her Penny's death in the book is probably the most descriptive and graphic little girl death we have. Right. Um, you know, the Sophia one was pretty bad, but the uh, the one at the beginning of season one wasn't as bad because we didn't have any connection to her at that point. But it was right? the shock value of that, right? It's the first thing you saw. It was shock value. First thing you saw, absolutely. But you don't know, like, you're not, it's not a character you're familiar with or have any past history with. So it wasn't quite as bad. It was just like, oh my God, he shot a little girl. Yeah. Um, this one, Penny in the book, was by far the worst and by far the one that upset me the most. Right. Because listening to it, I can't help but do the same thing Kirkman's doing and think about, you know, my own kids in the zombie apocalypse. Well, I can only surmise that he has a daughter, right? Because yeah. I think that that's probably where this is coming from. Yeah. It must be because he keeps doing it over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> His yeah. poor daughters, man, they must be like, uh, Dad, maybe try killing a boy for once. <laughs> <laughs> right. So there you go. All right. But if he has boys, maybe he just doesn't care. He's like, yeah, well, they die. What are you going to do? Yeah, they it's can. you, darling. They if you die, <laughs> I'll be devastated. But if they die, I'll get over it because they still got you. They can fend for themselves. <laughs> yeah. They'll be fine. They're boys. <laughs> that's right. All righty. Um, I think that's going to do it. Uh, we kind of gave a rating all way back at the beginning. You said seven and a half. Seven and a half. Yeah, I might go seven, six and a half. Should we start using the zombie scale? We never did in this real, in this podcast, really. No, we didn't. The zombie scale is something we came up with years ago to rate stuff out of five. Oh my God, I forget what it is. I brought it <laughs> up and I didn't, I don't even know where to find it. Okay, well, let's not use it then. All right, then Maybe we'll, it. we'll introduce it in a future podcast. If anyone wants to know, I don't know, write in and ask us. Yeah. Um, so worth reading, but not a spectacular book. And in my opinion, didn't really bring anything new to the Walking Dead universe other than a little insight on 
how the governor becomes who he is. I think of it in terms of if you're a fan of the graphic novels or the television show, read the book. You'll definitely get something out of this. Right. If you're not a fan of the television show or the graphic novels, don't read the book. And the the purpose of the book is for fans of the television show and the graphic novel. It's not something that somebody's going to pick up and go, hey, that was great. Oh, there's a comic book? You know what? I would I would amend that and say, if you are a fan of the comic and you've been reading it for a long time, this book is going to do something for you. If you've just watched the TV show, even you might not be into this so much. Because the governor hasn't shown up in the TV show. Okay, well, I'm going to amend that a little bit. All right. If you've just watched the TV show, <laughs> read the comic and then read the book. Now you're on to something. All right. <laughs> in, in, that's right. In, uh, ingest all of The Walking Dead. Yes. Go you, read the graphic novel because it's great. It's fantastic. Yeah. You need to. So there you go. If you have any thoughts or any comments about The Walking Dead, Rise of the Governor, or really anything to do with the book, the comic, the TV show, or the board game, or the oh, yeah, board paraphernalia that you can buy, whatever, <laughs> um, by all means, send us in uh, a comment at talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com, or call us, preferably, at one 483 zomb 9662 we're also on talking on uh, Facebook at facebook.com/thetalkingdead or on Twitter at talkingdead. Don't forget that in January, on January the 16th, we're going to do another Walking Dead news and listener feedback show. Right. And then on January 30th, we will have our listener prediction show. So those that that phone number and that email, send in your predictions. We want to get a bunch of thoughts on what's going to happen in season in the rest of season two and something else we should do at some point is play those board games well that's what i was just going to say is when are we going to talk about those board games we're going to wait for uh this after the sneezing the sneezing the season finale <laughs> the sneezing and uh, and do them during the, uh, the the long break we could do that i mean we unless you want to add another show in january and commit to playing the board games sometime over the break well why don't we just uh Surprise people? We'll surprise people. And us, really. We'll play the board game over the next couple of weeks. We'll try it out, and then uh, maybe we'll end up talking about it. Absolutely. And and like I say with everything, if you've played the board games and you want to tell us what you thought, we want to hear it. So you know how to get in touch with us. Send in your comments and thoughts. Really? All right. Okay, so until next time, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And we'll be back in January with more Talking Dead. Bye. Bye. Hey!